Welcome to episode two of my new podcast, F1 Coffee Corner, Full Beans. I'm Terry, obviously, as you know from episode one. And in this episode, I'm going to be continuing my Reverse Grid 2022 review that I started. Today, counting down the teams that finished fifth all the way to the current Constructor Championships for the season just gone. So in this, I'm going to be discussing what happened, expectations, and what this season looks like for the teams going forward including any changes to their driver lineups or any major changes that the team may be having. So, without further delay, let's sit down, strap in, and let's give it full beans. Now, before I get started on the countdown, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. I received loads of support and messages after I published episode one. And this has absolutely blown me away because, as I said in episode one, this isn't a natural thing. It's something that's, you know, quite new to me. Um, I'm learning and, you know, I apologise that episode one may not have been as smooth and as crisp as I would have liked, but I was really keen that you saw some content that wasn't majorly edited. So that's why I put it out there as it was. So those of you who actually sent me a message and, you know, there's some great constructive feedback in there. There were some great comments in there. I genuinely really appreciate it because ultimately when I started this and when I started my page on TikTok, I wanted a forum where fans could sit and discuss things where we could actually debate things in that safe manner where it doesn't matter who you support. And I was blown away to see the level of support that people actually gave it. So once again, thank you. And, you know, I hope you enjoy episode two as much as some of you enjoyed episode one. And hopefully it'll go a bit more smoother. So without further ado, let's crack on with today's episode. So with the team that finished in fifth place, that was obviously McLaren. Now, at the beginning of the season, McLaren would have been disappointed with fifth place. They wanted to finish best of the rest and possibly challenge for a couple of race wins or maybe just try and crack the top three. They've got that Mercedes engine, which, as we know, has proven to be great reliability and in the past has delivered great power as well. However, this season just wasn't the season for them, both on the track and off the track. They started poorly in Bahrain. They had a real issue with the car that they had to get to grips with. And by the time they got going, that left them behind. But not only that, they spent the season driving with just one driver scoring points. Because ultimately, when you've got one driver performing and one driver not performing, as bad as you had last season like McLaren did, you're not going to get high in the Constructors' Championship. Absolutely not. So last season, we had Lando scoring 122 points compared to Dana's 37 points. Lando being the only driver outside the top three teams who actually finished on the podium. Danny obviously struggled completely and yeah we all know the story of what's happened now with him obviously losing his seat making way for Oscar Piastri so I suppose what we've got to look at is what is the issue at McLaren because you've got a driver in Lando who is clearly an exceptional driver and performing well so is it that you've got an average McLaren and that Lando is performing out of his skin or is it in fact that the McLaren's good and Lando's performing at the level of the McLaren? You know, it's it's so many different things. And with two drivers at polar opposites who clearly had the same car, who clearly had the same opportunities, the same equipment, there was no favouritism. There was no number one driver that we're aware of at McLaren. They brought equal upgrades. They didn't favour one driver or the other. It, it kind of, you know, begs the question, what is the issue there? Now, They've obviously gone and brought Oscar Piastri in. Now, how they handled the signing of Oscar, no doubt, was an 
oh, it was a catastrophe for McLaren in terms of the statements that Danny put out saying he was stopping and then suddenly he was going. Then obviously there was a Piastri and Alpine fiasco and, you know, the Twitter incident and then the contract board negotiations. All of those things that went into it just made for just a real sour taste for a lot of fans over how that was handled. Now, Oscar Piastri is no doubt a talent. He is an up-and-coming superstar who actually on paper has performed better than Lando coming up through the ranks. So it's the exciting partnership for McLaren, but also it's a partnership that will answer hopefully some questions because if you've got in Oscar a driver who can challenge Lando, then Lando's quite used to being Zach Brown's favourite. There's no doubt about it. He's in that long-term contract. He's quite secure there. He's him and Sainz were probably the closest in terms of being challenged, but actually in terms of his relationship with McLaren, he's got a really good relationship with Zach Brown and McLaren and Andrea. So it's safe to say that if a driver comes in to challenge him, the dynamics of the team are going to be really interesting. But also Oss has come in and he's almost painted a target on his back when you think about it. He's come in and he's come in on the back of all of this media storm all of this, you know, falling out of Alpine. And if he doesn't perform from the off, if he slips into a situation where he performs like Danny, how long before the fans actually go, what on earth have they done here? So he's put himself under this enormous amount of pressure, this pressure that, oh, I can't even begin to think about. And he needs to really hit the floor running for his sake and McLaren's sake, because if he doesn't, there's going to be a lot of questions being asked over Zach Brown and his appointments in terms of drivers. Now, I'm not saying it was a bad decision to get rid of Danny at all. I think it was the right decision for both the driver and the team. He wasn't performing. He was completely demoralised. He needs to go back and recharge his battery. And hopefully, with his Red Bull third driver role, that he can do just that. He can pick the tracks he wants to go to. He can pick the events he wants to be a part of. He can get a smile back on his face and hopefully come back next season with a seat somewhere and be back on the grid because in terms of personality he's going to be a big loss but you can't help but feel in terms of McLaren he's not going to be as big as loss as people think if Oscar can challenge and get some points on the board so definitely season of transition for McLaren they are a team which needs to do better they are a team that if both drivers had performed they would have beaten Alpine quite clearly and that's going to you know, rankle at them because they should have they should have beaten them, no doubt about it. And when we talk about Alpine and their issues as a team next, obviously, you'll see that it's going to be one which gets marked down as disappointment. So Oscar and Lando, it's a young partnership. It's got the potential to be exciting. But does Lando need to do more to achieve his ambition? Does he need to leave McLaren? That's going to be the question that starts getting asked after this season. He's still waiting for that race win. We know that there was obviously Russia, there was Monza a couple of seasons ago, and we know he's been close. But if he wants to be a world champion, he's got to seriously think towards the end of this season whether or not McLaren is a team to be able to deliver that. Now, we know that 2024, especially, we might start to see some driver moves with the top three teams. There's a lot of drivers starting to come up to contracts being ended. We know Christian Horner's obviously talked very highly about Lando in the past and how he's tried to sign him a couple of times, but every time he seems to have gone back and signed for McLaren. So we know there's an interest there. Now, where that interest is just to generate 
a bigger contract or a longer contract like he got. We don't know that. So I suppose the question is, is this really a last chance for McLaren and Lando to actually try and deliver something in the hope that that convinces him to stay? We know he's got a bit of a long time left on his contract. We know we he's got he's got time on his side, but there's time and then there's driver patience, isn't there? When he's seen all of the people he come up with, so even George has now gone and collected his first win, then ultimately he's going to be wanting some of that. He's a racing driver and he's not going to be happy that he hasn't got that. And if he feels that McLaren can't deliver that, we might just see itchy feet scenario. Now, Oscar coming in, like I said, I'm really excited about. So hopefully Oscar will hit the floor running. But we should be reminded that he hasn't got a lot of F1 experience. And there is the potential that if he has a season where he's learning the ropes, some mistakes, some crashes even, who knows, then actually the pressure, like I said, is really going to be on him. And we've all seen with Danny what pressure can do to a driver. So I'm really hoping that doesn't happen. I'm really hoping that McLaren can actually get their act together. In terms of the operational team, they've come back from their financial troubles a few seasons ago. They did a lot of restructuring. They did a lot of refinancing in terms of selling off a lot of the the company and refinancing the company and separating the Formula 1 team. So financially, they're back secure. They've got Formula E, obviously, they brought off Mercedes this year for some of their drivers to, to go into that as well. They've got Extreme E driving as well. So they've got quite a big stable. And that can be good, but it can also be bad because it gives you a lot of eggs in your basket. But sometimes you can be, you know, you can not be the master of any, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, as the phrase goes, isn't it? So... I suppose there's a real damage and a real danger that that could happen to McLaren and they could become this jack-of-all-trades with lots of teams but actually just be in a middle-of-the-road team across the board. So that's probably their biggest thing to look out for. In terms of going forward for next season, let's just wait and see. But I expect them to be trying to challenge for the top three and to get to grips with that McLaren. They certainly got it better and they've got on paper a driver team with both drivers able to contribute this time. So let's see what it does. Now, in fourth place, we've got Alpine. Oh, what a season Alpine had, both on and off the track. They had obviously Fernando. They had Ocon. So we've got Ocon scoring 92 points, Fernando scoring 81 points. But that doesn't tell a story, really, does it? Because ultimately, you've got Fernando Alonso on five DNFs compared to Ocon on two. Now, the conspiracy theorists out there will say it's because Fernando said that he was going to Aston Martin, so they gave him a GP2 engine, um, as what Fernando would say. But ultimately, that's going to be their downfall. They're Achilles heel. They cannot be expected to challenge for a place towards the top of the, the constructors and towards the top of the grid with engine reliability like that. Now, we know that Alpine only make engines for themselves. So they've got no customer feedback. They've got no customer teams to actually help them with developing the reliability of their car. They've got just themselves. But then also that presents an opportunity where they actually should get it right because they haven't got any other team demands. And we know there's no money issue for Alpine. So it's not as if there's a budget constraint. Of course, there's a budget constraint with a cost cap. But there's not a budget constraint in terms of the money that Alpine stroke Renault have got. They've got more than enough. However, this season we're starting to hear noise that the Alpine board or the Renault board as it is aren't quite happy with what's going on with Formula One. You know, Cyril obviously left and the 
Piastri fiasco. Piastri fiasco, that's a mouthful, isn't it? That was just that was just shocking, you know, to Mando just drop his bombshell that he's going to Aston Martin on the eve of them announcing his new road car that they had designed for him with the expectation he was going to sign a new contract, that he was going to do another couple of years at Alpine, that Oscar was going to be loaned out, and it was all looking good until, boom, you know, the summer break with Seb's announcement just blew the water. Within a couple of days, Fernando suddenly comes out and says, I'm off to Aston Martin. Alpine suddenly went, pun, we know nothing about that, or certainly Otmar said that he knew nothing about that. And then we have the announcement of Oscar taking a full-time seat and then announcing to the world on Twitter within a couple of hours in the midst of the Australian night, I think it was, suddenly going, actually, I'm not. I've got no intention to race for them. It was just mind-blowing. And then the summer break of just silence, you know, with the crickets chirping. Yep, it was just like that, the crickets chirping. While we waited for some some confirmation, some actual news from Alpine and it just didn't come and then we started hearing the rumours that obviously McLaren were involved and that they had signed Oscar and then after the summer break the story finally came out that he had actually signed for McLaren then we went to the contracts recognition board who quite clearly said that actually he didn't have a watertight contract at all with Alpine and that he was free to sign for McLaren without even any real debate on it it seems like they completely dropped the ball on his contract. And we know they've made, well, they've sat the person responsible for contract negotiations. And, well, quite rightly so when you think about it. However, what an opportunity and what a complete fiasco that turned out to be. That was just mind-blowingly amateurish. It's probably the best word to describe it. So they then went in pursuit of pretty much everyone. I mean, I think everyone is driven and Alpine at some point, you know, Alpine seems to have more drivers than Nick DeVries has had out in this season. They've had loads of people test driving that Alpine. But ultimately, they've settled on Pierre Gasly. Now, Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon is a, I'm going to say friendship, because I'm going to use that word loosely, but it's a friendship that dates back to Carton days. But with it is apparently more baggage than Terminal 3 at Heathrow, to the point where, they're even saying that the families of the drivers have got to attend the tracks at separate times to avoid what could be a complete powder keg situation. Now, Ocon and Alonso, towards the end, they almost had a powder keg situation. That's reality. Yeah, a couple of times I thought we were going to get, you know, Alonso storming down the pits, Michael Schumacher star to knock Ocon's block off after some of the driving, that's for sure. So... Gasly and Ocon, if there's a tangle, if there is a moment where the two collide, oh, there could be fireworks. There really could. Yeah, they've said that they've come out and said they can work together. They've come out and said that ultimately it's all good. But we've seen this before. We've also seen what damage it can do. We've seen Rosberg and Hamilton. Yeah, we've seen other examples over the years of drivers completely falling out. And it just getting too much. So we obviously wait and see. And in terms of point scoring, if they can get their reliability sorted, there should be some consistently good points for the two. But you can't help but feel that Fernando missing is actually going to be a big loss to them. Some of his drives were immense, and he was definitely unlucky in terms of reliability. 
Otherwise, he would have been higher and definitely higher than Ocon. So even though the record books will show Ocon finish higher, certainly if Alonso had had the reliability that Ocon had, I can't help but feel he definitely would have finished above him. So Gasly and Ocon, let's just see what they can do. It's a strong partnership, but you can't help but feel it's a partnership that may not be good enough to challenge the top teams. It may just be good enough for all best of the rest again going into it. But we won't see, you know. Let's just keep an eye on that situation if there's a collision because, like I said earlier, there could well be fireworks, that's for sure. Then we come on to third place and probably the most unsuspecting third place ever, which was Mercedes. Now, if someone had said at the start of the season that Mercedes would have been third place, we would have been laughing at them. Anybody would. You know, you would have just gone, are you off your rocker? Mercedes slipping all the way down to third place. However, they deserve third place because their car was nowhere near up to scratch the challenge to the top teams. Nowhere near. We know they got their amazing win in the W13 with George Russell in Brazil. We know that they certainly struggled more than most with Porpoisin. And there's two ways to look at this. Mercedes went down the route of no side pods, which was a brave and a bold move. But ultimately, it's one that cost them the championship. It's one that cost them race wins. And... We remain to be seeing whether or not it's something they continue with, whether or not they've fixed the porpoising issues. We've got the new technical directive of the floor sides raising it by, I think it's 10 millimetres if I remember rightly. So there is a slight change to the floors for next season, which could help them. And we also know that the engine freeze means you're not going to get a lot of performance gains in the engine. Now, in terms of engines, that Mercedes was pretty much bulletproof. And even though... Um, Lewis retired from Abu Dhabi in the last race of the season with engine problems. It might have been because of the fact that he decided to go off-road trying to get around science rather than an engine problem. I still don't believe it was a pure engine problem that wasn't caused by the fact he went almost airborne. So, you know, it's a bulletproof engine in terms of what Mercedes got. And in fact, the customer teams have said the same thing. But it did lack horsepower at times, certainly at the beginning of the season. We know it was turned down. We know it wasn't really turned up until after summer break. We don't know if it's fully turned up yet. So there might be more to come from that Mercedes engine. But at the moment, reliability-wise, it's there. Speed-wise, it's not quite as good as it has been. Now, in terms of the drivers, we obviously had George, who finished on 275 points, and Lewis, who finished on 240 points. If you had said at the beginning of the season that George would beat Lewis, I think I alluded to it beginning this week, where George said, normally, if you beat Lewis, you're going to be world champion. Now. Some people said he needs to keep his ego in check. Some people said he's getting too big for his boots. A lot of people have said this season he made a lot of errors. Um, he did. Let's face reality. There was a lot of driver errors in some of George's driving. But also Lewis made quite a few driver errors as well. He wasn't faultless at all. Yeah, we remember his collision, his collision with Fernando. There was more than that as well during the course of the season. So Lewis probably was littered with more driver faults than he has been now. Is that a sign that he can't drive in the middle of the pack? I don't think so. I think it's a sign of a driver who clearly struggled to get used to that car and how it drives. And we know at the beginning of the season, we know that the drivers run different setups. We know that actually, for the first half of the season, especially, there was a lot of testing going on with Mercedes. In fact, they used, I think it was 80% of their wind tunnel time to try and combat porpoising, which is an extraordinary amount of time to fix a problem that shouldn't have been there. But as we all know, the simulator can't pick up porpoising, and they only found it out when they put it on 
the preseason tests. So yeah, they run two different two different cars almost for preseason testing. You remember the first one in Barcelona that had the side pods? The second one had the no side pod concept. So again, why did they do that? They they thought they were gonna gain a march from people by bringing out this completely innovative design and ultimately it it failed but you can't help but look at the performance gains of the w13 and think if you look at the performance of the w13 at the beginning of the season and then look at how far it developed and how far it came towards the end of the season now that can be two things that could be that mercedes chucked literally everything that developed in that car and they haven't saved enough for next year it could be that other teams cut their development time back. So, yeah, Red Bull, for example, didn't feel the need to develop their car this season much because they'd already won the World Championship and the Championship was pretty much in the bag for the constructors. So why would they develop this year's car when they can wait till next year? Ferrari had a fast car but reliability problems. So, and they're, Ferrari are not notorious for bringing little upgrades. They tend to bring quite big packages with theirs. Now, what Mercedes did over the course of the season was quite different. They actually brought little upgrades, a lot of recycled parts. So there was a lot of talk about cost cap with Mercedes saying, how are they affording these upgrades they're bringing? Talking to the team and listening to all of the info that came out, they actually made a lot of recycled parts used. So beginning of the season, they didn't use the upgrades in terms of the aero tunnel because they're using that for porpoising. They actually brought a lot of the aero upgrades without trying them in the wind tunnel. And that showed with some of the upgrades being completely rubbish. But it also showed what they needed to do. So it enabled them to fix quite a bit. We know they introduced a new floor about a halfway point. Now, this new floor is apparently a lot better. It's apparently got different settings. So you can run it at different heights. All legal, I must add. But you can run it at different heights. So that helps them. And that certainly helps with the porpoising. And the tracks that we came to towards the back end of the season certainly helped with the porpoising. So it'll be interesting to see at the start of next season with those tracks that caused them so much trouble. So we had lots of Bahrain, you know, bouncing in Baku. We all remember that. You know, Lewis climbing out like he was, you know, absolutely crippled. So it'll be interesting to see, one, whether or not the side pods come back, and two, whether or not they can actually get hold of this design. Because it was Adrian Newey who said, if you can develop the aero package with the no side pods, you've actually got a winning car. So it'll be interesting to see if Mercedes have done this or whether or not they've wasted another season and going to start again next season. Now, if they start again next season and they spent so much on development this season, they could again be playing catch-up next season. So it is going to be a completely you know, unknown until we get going racing, that's for sure. And in terms of the drivers, George, like I said earlier, he beat Lewis. Now, he would have he would have been over the moon with that, and I think he will be over the moon with that. And, yeah, Lewis has come out. He feels like he's got a bit of fire back to him. He feels like for the first time in a long time, he's going to be talking about a new long-term contract, a new time of actually being in Formula 1 for a while. We know that he's not looking to move from Mercedes. We know that Mercedes will give him a contract for as long as he wants one because of what he's achieved pretty much. So I think in terms of Lewis retiring, I think number eight is what he's looking for. And I also feel that he's looking for the time to go out on a high rather than last season, well, not last season, season before now, but Abu Dhabi 2021 wasn't the right time for him to go in his mind. And he certainly looks like he's got the bit back between his teeth. 
he won't like the fact he didn't win this season at all. He won't like the fact he didn't get pole. And he also won't like the fact that George Russell beat him. But ultimately, that's what the record books show. George Russell beat Lewis Hamilton in his first season as a Mercedes driver. That only the third driver in Lewis's history in terms of teammates to do that. So that shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't underestimate that achievement from George. George will go from strength to strength. He's definitely the future of Mercedes. And he showed this season that he can handle the pace. He showed he can handle the car. And he showed that he can handle the pressure of being a Mercedes driver. So next season looks interesting for those two. But again, they could have a partnership where if they want to race, it could be at the detriment of the team. Toto's already said that team driver orders-wise, unless they're fighting for the championship, there are no team orders. So certainly beginning of the season is going to be interesting. But I do expect Lewis to come back strong. I do expect him to try and challenge. But if the car's not at the level it needs to be, we could be seeing the end of Lewis Hamilton in terms of in Formula 1 because he might just go, enough's enough, I'm done. I've achieved what I need to achieve. This car isn't the car to get me back to the top, so why am I doing this? And I do think that that's going to be playing on his mind. So it's going to be a make-or-break season for Lewis, that's for sure. George will just continue to be George. He will just continue to put the pressure on, continue to be Mr. Consistent. And apart from those fights where it got a bit ugly sort of just after the halfway point of the season, certainly beginning of the season, he was driving really well and certainly running away with him and Lewis in their battle. So it'd be good to see. And it'd be good to see what direction Mercedes go to. That's for sure. Now, second place. Second place in Ferrari. What can we say about Ferrari? <sighs> I don't even know where to start this season with Ferrari. Ferrari started off really bright. They started off as a team who looked like they'd come out of the blocks. They looked like they got their car sorted. They looked like the sacrifice they made for last season in terms of the regulations in 2021 and putting everything into 2022 they looked like they got it just right they came out the block strong okay they were helped by red bull's reliability problems in the first few races but ultimately their car looked good it looked fast it looked really strong you know we had carlos getting his first win at silverstone we had charles looking almost supreme as the season started but then the legs just monumentally fell off. It fell off with reliability. It fell off with engine problems. It fell off with, you know, Charles having three DNS, Carlos six DNS. You know, that's an Alpine level DNS. Now, ultimately, that costs them in terms of engine more for the drivers' championship and probably the constructors, to be fair, and almost losing out to Mercedes towards the end. It didn't really look in any doubt, I must admit, but it did put some pressure on themselves their performance did so ultimately it's a season of disappointment for Ferrari their strategy calls were comical at times how many memes did we see of clowns on the Ferrari pit wall and unless they change something in that department and their engine reliability department they've got some real big problems they look like they turned the car down certainly second half of the season they changed the floor at the halfway point that hurt them you know, they were the biggest team in terms of the flexi floor who lost out performance-wise by changing the floor at the halfway point. You can tell that from the results. So they'll be looking to bounce back from that. Fundamentally, they got a really strong car. So they've got the basis to kick on and they've got the basis to challenge. But they've got no consistency in terms of you just don't know what Ferrari you're going to get. You honestly don't. And ultimately, the gap and the upgrade packages they brought were not good enough to close the gap. The upgrade packages were too far between 
they were too late in the day and they didn't bring enough performance because as they brought their performance, the other teams had brought their performance and hurt their performance. And in fact, in the end, you felt more like Mercedes were challenging Red Bull than what Ferrari were towards the end of the season, which is a huge disappointment to Ferrari. Now, we know that Charles finished on 308 points and Man get second in the Drivers' Championship. And we know that Carlos finished on 246 points. And that, I suppose, tells a tale in the South. There's plenty of podiums between the two. There were plenty of actual you know, highs, but then there was also some massive lows. You know, Carlos in Austria was a massive low. And like I said, they went missing at times. And towards the end of the season, they went missing in terms of the championship fight. I expected more. I wanted more. And I wanted them to take the fight to Red Bull. And they didn't. And that was disappointing. And next season, they're going to go with the same driver lineup again. It's a strong partnership, but one that hasn't got a clear, defined number one driver. And again, a bit like Mercedes, I was like I was saying earlier, if you've not got a defined number one driver, you can open yourself up to problems at the beginning of the season because you've got two drivers scrapping for points. And ultimately, until one gets enough of a head start to be considered the team leader, then you can take points off each other. So it is a risky game. We know that they're going to make change at the top. We know um, we know that Bonotto is in his final days at Ferrari. In fact, he's sorting his settlement out, it looks like, this week. So we know there's going to be change at the top. We know that Fred Vasser is the top tip to come in. We know that he's got a relationship with Leclerc. We know that he's keen normally on a number one driver. So if he does come in, don't be surprised to see a number one driver. Now, how Carlos is going to react to that is going to be really interesting because he didn't go to Ferrari to be... Charles is number two driver. He went there to win races and to potentially win a championship. So if they do make the changes as expected and we do see Fred come in and we do see Charles named as a number one driver, expect Carlos to be thinking, do I need to move? Do I need to actually change change roles here, change teams even, if I want to fulfil my own ambitions? So the dynamics of the team could completely change. I think that you need to look at the strategy department as well. The engine department needs to work on its reliability, but the strategy department needs a complete overall. So Ferrari are notorious for keeping things in-house. They don't like going outside of Marinello to recruit people, but I feel now might be a really good time to actually take the shackles off and maybe go and get some people in. You know, they did it before Michael Schumacher when they when we had the Ross Braun era. You know, Michael brought a lot of his own team in which helped Ferrari's success, no doubt, back in those you know, sort of early 2000s with Michael Schumacher. So hopefully they can use that as a blueprint and say, actually, some outside help would be good and get some people in. So we'll wait and see. I do expect them to challenge again. The car is, the car is definitely fast. The car definitely has potential. They've definitely got a good understanding of it. It's a bit concerning their talk about how they almost breached the cost cap when they didn't really look like they upgraded it. So that's a bit of a concern. Um, maybe it's premium Italian parts that they're paying for, I don't know, but certainly with Benotto talking about that, that's a worry because ultimately you want a car that's being upgraded and challenging, so I don't think they can waste as long as they did this season to upgrade their car next season or they'll be left behind again but I do expect them to be in the mix I do expect them, certainly early doors, to be challenging and hopefully they can be a lot closer than what they were this season and build on second place because ultimately second place is something they can be proud of and second place for Charles can be something they can be proud of. But the Tifosi don't accept anything less than a championship. 
and that's a problem. You know, second place for them just isn't good enough. So back to the drawing ball for Ferrari, but really interesting times ahead. And I think that partnership's good. I think it's solid together, and it looks like a partnership that, you know, isn't in any jeopardy, isn't strange anyway. But the team principal and driver partnership, certainly Charles and Benotto certainly does look strange. So I expect the changes to come at the top from Ferrari rather than drivers. And let's see what next season brings for them. Then we go back to, well, we don't go back to, we go to Red Bull. And what can we say? I mean, we all thought the new rules were designed to stop a team dominating. And we've had eight years of Mercedes domination in terms of the constructors. Obviously, in 2021, Max won his first championship. So that ended the drivers' championship domination. But this season was the end of domination for Mercedes completely. Red Bull absolutely blew him out of the water. Adrian Newey built a rocket ship of a car. This man should never be underestimated. He designed a car that was absolutely awesome all the way through the season and just got better and better and stronger and stronger. Ultimately, the best car on the grid, but it was coupled with the best driver in Max. And are we seeing the start of the Verstappen era? It happens in Formula 1 all the time we've had. You know, in the past, we've had the Senna era, the Prost era. We then went into, you know, the Hamilton era. Are we now entering the Max Verstappen era? Because it feels like we are. He's driving effortlessly, faultlessly at the moment. You can't help but feel he's grown, he's matured, he's had the pressure of winning the World Championship taken off him, and ultimately he's a driver who is enjoying driving. He enjoys being number one. Red Bull have got a, a team that's made around him that make him number one. There's no doubt about that. And whatever driver they bring in is always going to be a second driver to Max. Now, yeah, I said about the other teams that actually that goes against them. In Red Bull, it kind of works in their favour because the driver coming in at second second driver knows they're a second driver. Ferrari used this tactic with Michael Schumacher. Everyone knew that the team was good around Michael and the other driver was there to pick up the points to make sure you can be constructed champions. That's what Red Bull are doing now. Max is the number one driver. He is team leader. And if you're the second driver, you're there to pick up the points when he doesn't pick up the points, which is very rare. And also, you're there as a number two driver. Pure and simple. If you want to win a championship, then you don't go to Red Bull as a second driver at Max. That's for sure. Even if you've got a good enough car. Now, saying that, I think Checo underperformed. I think Checo had an average season in what was a really good car. We know there were some specification changes to the cars. We know they run different floors at different times. But ultimately, that car, even the spec that Checo was driving was a lot better than the rest and he should have easily have boxed off second place and they should have easily boxed off the constructors well before they actually did so it's a season disappointment for Checo Max on the other hand like I said we're in the Verstappen era we're in the era of a true driving legend almost he doesn't look under pressure at all even the times when towards the end of the season he was under pressure he didn't really look at you know he, he looks like a driver who's Learn from the mistakes he certainly made earlier in his career. He's grown up in terms of his driving ability. And he's also a ruthless driver in terms of how he engages with the opposition. And that creates a fear factor almost with some drivers. And yeah, we know all about him and Lewis. And I'm not going to get into that debate, certainly on this podcast, around enough room or none of them giving an inch. But ultimately, his 
driving style means that he will make it so difficult for drivers to get past him. And also he makes drivers weary of it when they're coming to challenge him. And that's actually not a bad thing for drivers to have. Ultimately, you know, that fear factor is quite good. We've we've said in the past, you know, when Michael Schumacher was driving, he used to come up behind certainly back markers. He used to see that red Ferrari and just get out of the way. It's the same with Max and that red bull at times. We've seen how he cuts back through the pack. We've seen how actually even if he's down in traffic, he can get back through it really easily. Now, in terms of the team and the dynamics, we've got the Brazil team orders. We can't do a debrief for last season and not talk about Brazil. Now, we're not getting the full story there. We're not getting everything that's happened. I still don't believe that it's something to do with Monaco and a qualifying lap at all. I think there's something more going on behind the scenes, but that is pure speculation. Ultimately, what they've done with Danny is by bringing Danny in as a third driver, they've got a replacement if it goes you know, if it goes south, if it goes wrong. I don't believe that Dan is brought in to replace Checo as such. I think Dan is brought in as an insurance policy in case something goes wrong with Checo. Because ultimately, I think Max gets the decision. I think if he doesn't want to drive with Checo, they'll find a way out of Checo's contract, no matter how long he's got left on it. I think if Max turns around tomorrow and says, I'm not driving with Checo, Red Bull are that fearful of him going to somebody else that they would just go, absolutely fine, no problem at all. We've changed the driver. So... That is where I think they are as a team. I think that ultimately they've got a driver who's the best on the grid with the best car and the two combined currently you know, had a record-breaking season. So in terms of on the track, they were absolutely brilliant. Now off the track, that's a completely different debate. Cost cap saga. Now I'm going to do a podcast on cost cap a bit later on in its own right, because it's really complicated and really long-winded and deserves its own sort of discussion. But you can't go through a debrief and not mention the cost cap. Ultimately, they broke the rules. And people will come at people and they will call it cheating, they will call it whatever you want to call it. Ultimately, they breached the rules of the cost cap and were fined and had a penalty that is within the regulations that will hurt them in terms of the aerodynamic time in the wind tunnel and is the price that they paid for breaching that now no matter how they breached it no matter what department it was on no matter if there was no car performance gains the rules were there for everybody they broke those rules and they had to face the consequences now they face those consequences by accepting the aba and like i said i'm going to go into that in a bit more detail in a separate podcast but it did take the shine off a season where they dominated and if that hadn't ever happened then they would have been seen as this majestic team but unfortunately there will be a section of fans who will say that this championship is tainted as well which is a real disappointment for Max because I don't feel that this season especially they gained any performance gains from cost cap I just think they built a car that was much better had a driver who was much better and had a really well-deserved world champion in Max Verstappen so that's the end of that debate, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of the Drivers' Championship. Now, in terms of the cost cap, like I said, we're going to go into that in a bit more depth on another show. It's taken a gloss off, but ultimately, it's done. And even though I'm keen to discuss it in terms of talk about my opinions on it, it's done. They've took the punishment. There's no appeal. There's no recourse of anything. They've admitted that they breached the cost cap. They've admitted that the amounts in there were there. And we move on into next season. So if no team breaches the cost cap next season, it's going to look like an isolated incident. If a lot of teams end up breaching the cost cap next season, 
it might not be as frowned upon as in Red Bull's breach as what we thought. There was clearly some difference of opinions in terms of accountancy. However, there was also some avenues to make sure those differences of opinions didn't get done and no other team fell foul of them ultimately. So they've had they've had the punishment, they've accepted the punishment, and we move into next season. And a team that is spending money on things like, you know, carbon fibre weaving to make their cars faster, they don't really need to do that much to upgrade their cars. So even though they got a wind tunnel hampering in terms of their penalty, they're actually going to be in a position of strength, certainly. The teams aren't near them yet. They've got a brilliant engine in terms of Honda. Now, I know that the statistics will show it's a Red Bull powertrain. It's not. It's a Honda engine. We all know it's a Honda engine. They've even come out and put the Honda branding back on it. They run with H HRC all season in terms of Honda Racing Company. They've been doing Honda shows at the end of the season. They brought the Honda logo back for Japan. It's a Honda engine. And we know that Honda are giving them technical help for Red Bull powertrain. So... Branding it Red Bull Powertrains is just like slapping a different badge on it. It's a Honda engine. And that Honda engine looks, looks really good. Um, it had reliability problems at the start of the season. But those reliability problems were to do more with the fuel intake rather than the actual engine intake. So I don't know too much about the engines. They're a bit of a complicated subject. But ultimately, when, when the start of the season started, it was the new fuels that were causing the problems with the engines rather than the actual engines breaking down. And they showed that since then, actually, their engine reliability was pretty good as well. So that Honda engine, Red Bull powertrain engine, whatever you want to call it, is looking strong and will look strong for a few seasons. We know that they've got an amazing designer in Adrian Newey. We know that they've got an amazing car going forward. And we know that in a driving max, they've got someone who's more than capable of delivering much more world championships. And going into next season, he is certainly going to be the driver to be. And Red Bull are going to be the team to be again in terms of the double. They've obviously secured the constructors. They would have been disappointed that Checo didn't get second place. But ultimately, at the start of the season, their aim was to win the Drivers' Championship with Max again and to get the Constructors' Championship again. So, yeah, mission mission passed, mission successful, and they go into 2023 in a position of strength despite the off-field penalties and with a driver lineup that actually gives them options if something goes wrong with the drivers. So, It'd be interesting to see. It'd be interesting to see the dynamic between Checo and Max at the start of the season to see if there is an overspill from this season or whether or not it was just an isolated incident and that Max just doesn't like being given team orders ultimately. So we remain to see if that that is the case. But into next season they go with a strong car, a driver liner that Checo needs. Checo needs to deliver next season. If he delivers a season like this season, I feel he'll finish lower than third place in the championship, and I feel he'll lose his seat. So. Ultimately, it's his seat to lose at the moment still. He's still in a position of power in the fact he's got the seat. But if he doesn't deliver, then we could be seeing the end of Checo's Red Bull career and we might not have to wait till the end of the season to see it. He could certainly be a casualty of the Danny Muse that we've seen, that's for sure. So, pressure for Checo. Max will just want to perform. He will just want another World Championship. He will just want to run that number one back on his car. And here, want to keep rewriting the record books like he did this season. So, Red Bull will be the team to beat, I think, next season for sure. Definitely. That wraps up our 2022 debrief for last season. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've really enjoyed recording this. I've really sort of tried to make it a bit more in terms of interactive, a bit more in terms of information, and hopefully, everyone will like it. Again, you know, if you can like, follow, share, whatever it is we do on podcasts. Any feedback is gratefully received, whether it's good, 
or not so good then yeah please please feel free to drop it in because like i said i'm learning this and i really appreciate everyone listening i know it's a big ass to listen to my dulcet tones for as long as you do so i really honestly really appreciate everyone listening and until next episode catch you later